power. Power. If someone were to say to you, how would you describe power? Or how would something that you could relate power to someone else, what would you use? Um, When we just got back from uh, about two weeks in West Virginia as a family, and we had a great time there, and it was very beautiful. West Virginia is a very beautiful state to visit. And uh, we, my sister, took our family down to a place called Sandstone Falls. Sandstone Falls is on the New River, and it is the longest uh, set of falls, waterfalls, on the New River. And uh, it spans across, and I don't have any good pictures of the whole thing, because in order to get a good picture of the whole thing, I would have had to take my phone out in the river and got to the middle and taken a picture, and that wasn't going to happen. Okay? But there are several places. There's a boardwalk that walks out there to get you to the river, and it stops you by a couple places where you can get a good view of the falls. And we walked on down to the riverside, and then we decided to do some wading and uh, swimming. And that was mostly wading for me. And so as a family, we got in the water, and so it's not like the swimming pool. You know, they didn't cement the bottom for us so that it was nice and smooth. There were rocks everywhere. And so we're walking, and there's a, there's a small waterfall that you could actually climb up on top of and then walk towards the larger waterfall that was out in the distance. And as we were walking, it's just very unstable, and, uh, and it's kind of hard. You know, you're walking, and there's resistance against your legs, and you don't realize how much resistance there is. And I thought to myself, you know what? Because this water is in the bottom is unstable, I'm going to get down on my knees and just kind of crawl towards the waterfall. And so when I did this, I got down on my knee and, and put my other knee down. So now I have my feet back behind me on some rocks. And then when I stepped down and the waters hit across my chest... And, and look, I know right now I've got this on. And it's not, my chest is just massive. Okay. And so this water hits my chest and just about flips me over. Okay. And I'm like, this water, this water is powerful. Okay. There, there's a lot more power to this waterfall than it looks on as you're just looking at the surface. Because there are just gallons and gallons and thousands of gallons of water coming down this river. And then I noticed as we were walking on the way out, there are times that the new river will flood. And there were whole trees stacked up against each other in different areas. As you walked out the boardwalk, you could see off in the distance, whole trees had been washed down this river. That's power. Paul, in the book of Romans, tells us about a power that's much greater than the new river coming through Sandstone Falls. We're going to be looking just at a review of chapters 1 through 5 in the book of Romans to see what's the big deal with the gospel. What's the big deal with the gospel? We're going to talk about justification. Justification. Now, justification is a word. That means to be declared righteous. We're going to encounter a lot of courtroom language as we go through here. 
But it's not courtroom language that we're used to. We're used to, uh, we, we do use the word judgment or verdict. Uh, so we're going to see the word judgment. And so when you see that, think about verdict. Uh, when we see, we, we tend to think of uh, guilty or not guilty in our court system. Uh, guilty, the closest thing to guilty we have in this passage, what, what would be considered guilty back then would be condemned. Because you would be declared guilty with a sentence of punishment. Okay? So when we see the word condemned, you need to think it's courtroom language that someone has received a sentence because they are guilty. And then we tend to think of not guilty back in the days when the Bible was written. We would say the word justified. Justified. It means to be declared righteous. We'll also see righteousness mentioned. Okay, so so you were either justified in the courtroom, so you were found to be righteous in your actions, or you were to be condemned. Okay, so that's the courtroom language we're going to encounter. But Paul begins the book in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, about how he is not ashamed of this gospel because of its power. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that's the gospel, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, that's a quotation from the book of Habakkuk. And if you would like to, we are starting a study of the book of Habakkuk in Sunday school. So I would encourage you to get here at 930 as we're going through the book of Habakkuk. And uh, we've got four more studies in the book of Habakkuk. We're going to start in chapter 1 next Sunday. So I encourage you to be here. It's a great study. And we're going to see that God is going to bring judgment first upon the Jews and then upon the Babylonians. And this phrase, but the righteous shall live by faith, is found in the book of Habakkuk. And so we we see this uh, quoted here. And then Paul then goes on to talk about God's wrath in bringing judgment against the Jews and against the Gentiles. But he starts off by saying here, the gospel is God's saving power for all who believe. The gospel reveals God's righteousness. Now, God's righteousness is something that's foreign to you and I. We have our own righteousness, and the Bible describes our own righteousness as bloody, filthy rags. Okay? In other words, even our best efforts fall short of being any kind of right or righteousness. So the gospel reveals God's righteousness through faith for a life to be lived by faith. Now, we tend to think, uh, we, we tend to resist faith. Like, I, I'm going to, instead of, instead of getting righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, we tend to think, yeah, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm a pretty good person. I just need to fix a few things, and I'm going to do good. We want to fix our own lives. That's not what the gospel presents to us. We kind of we, we, we buck at or we, we resist faith. We want to fix things ourselves. But the gospel here is God's power to save. 
by God giving his righteousness to those who respond to the gospel in faith. So the gospel is needed because God's wrath is upon all of mankind. Look at Romans 1.18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We need saving because we have earned God's wrath. But how did we earn God's wrath as people? Well, God created this world and he placed upon this world images of himself. You could, you could say that the earth was created to be a temple and in that temple were to be images of the God who created that temple or the God of that temple. And so God, instead of placing inanimate objects in his temple, he placed us here. We are to be his image bearers so that when someone looks at us, they should see an image of God. But that's not what they see. We see in this verse that by our unrighteous deeds, our ungodliness, we suppress the truth about God. We misrepresent Him. We suppress the truth about God. Let's take a big picture tour of the upcoming passages in Romans. We first see the suppression of truth by those with general revelation or natural revelation. It's just found in creation. And it's also found in our conscience. These are the Gentiles. These are the people that didn't have the law of God. Notice that there is no excuse for them in verse 20 of Romans 1. No excuse. They are without excuse. We can observe from natural creation God's eternal power. I mean, when I looked at that river and after I had experienced part of it, I said, wow, water flowing, gallons and gallons of it is very powerful. When we see the images that come back from this new telescope that's been developed and we see God's creation and that he created all that, power comes to mind. We can understand God's eternal power by looking at creation. But Paul next refers to God's divine nature being clearly perceived by mankind, ways that we can know about God's nature just by being a human created in his image. And we have conscience in Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. Everyone has some sense of right and wrong. Now, we may differ on different things, but we have a general sense of what is right and what is wrong, of fairness and of justice. One of the early sentences that a child learns is, that's not fair. That's not fair. In fact, my granddaughter Opal uh, just said her first sentence when we got back from West Virginia. She was with uh, her grandma Valdez and her uh, uh, cousin Joaquin. And Joaquin had some blueberries and he was supposed to share them with Opal. And uh, he was told by his grandmother to, to share those. And so Opal went to get them, and he turned away and said no. And when he came, when Opal went to Grandma, she said, did he share with you? And she said, he say no. 
That's not fair, right? We, we, we learn that early on. It's this, there's injustice in this world. And if we genuinely evaluate ourselves, that leads to an understanding that we're not perfect. And if we're not perfect, then we're guilty of wrongdoing. We, we, have, we have misrepresented God because God is holy and perfect. And we've misrepresented Him and we deserve judgment. So that's conscience. We also have observational knowledge just by observing order in nature and how things are made to work. Now, there's much that can be learned about right and wrong simply by observing how God made us to work. Man and woman fit together like a unique puzzle. Adam and Eve didn't need an instructional manual or an education course to figure out how to bring about Cain and Abel. So, from that, just by the observation of nature, we can understand that it is wrong to deviate from God's design of nature and participate in ungodliness. So, those are just some easy ways that we can see that even if you don't have God's law, we can observe things about God with His power and His design and His nature, how He's created things to work. So that's the suppression of truth by Gentiles. But what about the Jews? Well, they've rejected the truth as well. They have specific revelation. They've got the law. And the Jews are also without excuse in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you have no excuse, referring to the Jews. And just like the Gentiles recognize that there is a God, but they do not honor him, as God, so they dishonor him. We also see in Romans 2.23 that the Jews dishonor God. He says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. So they do not image God well. So there's the suppression of the truth about God by the Jews. And so what we find then is we find guilty verdicts in the courtroom of God. Look at Romans 3 verse 9. Romans 3, verse 9, he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged, okay, so here's the charge against us as people, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. We are under sin. Sin rules and reigns over us, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. Look at verse 19 of chapter 3. Romans 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. God is our creator, and because he is our creator, he has authority over us to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And so we have a responsibility then. To behave rightly. So the whole world is going to be held accountable for their rejection of truth. And our method of suppressing the truth is our ungodliness and our unrighteousness. Just doing what we want to do without any regard for what God says. And so there is no excuse that you can make that will excuse you from God's wrath. And let me just broaden that. There's no excuse that will excuse us from God's wrath. We're not going to stand before God on judgment day and say, well, I didn't know about that 
And God says, well, what about your conscience? What did your conscience tell you? Okay, I did do wrong there. There's no excuse. We have no excuse. We stand before God guilty or, in biblical language, condemned. Mankind stands before God the judge and faces the charge that they are dominated by sin. The evidence from the Scriptures shows that their character, their words, and their ways are totally depraved. There will be no defense. There are no excuses. Everyone stands condemned when held accountable to God's standard of righteousness. No one will be declared righteous by works of the law because the law just reveals to us how sinful we really are. We all stand condemned as sinners in the courtroom of God. Therefore, we need a Savior. We need God's righteousness and we don't have it. Now look to Romans 3.21, because here's where the story begins to change. It begins to pivot here, and we find hope. It says in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, there's a way to get God's righteousness, and it's not law-keeping. It's a different way that we can have God's righteousness. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. What is it? Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we've not imaged God well. And we are justified. That's that courtroom term. We are declared righteous. We are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So, there's a way that's apart from law keeping that we can have the righteousness of God. What way is this? What is faith in Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins? What's that word propitiation means? It's not, it's not a word that we use in our day anymore, but it's a very biblical word, and so they've kept it here in the translation. Propitiation is an offering that satisfies wrath. An offering that satisfies wrath. In ancient times, even with other gods, there would be people that worshipped other gods, and they would be like, well, I'm not getting what I'm wanting. The gods must be angry at me. I need to make an offering to this God to appease his wrath against me. You might understand it better. I've shared with you this illustration before. With If you're married or you've had a significant other, you may understand that there are times when you've messed up and you've forgotten a very important date or you've done something and your spouse is angry with you. And you know that they are angry with you. And, you're, and you know that I'm sorry is not going to be enough. And so you head out to your HEB where you can get all the offerings that will satisfy wrath because they have a flower shop. And you, you get her some flowers. And then if you've really messed up, then you also pick her up some of her favorite candy. And if you really messed up, you go and you go get some of her favorite, her favorite flavor of bluebell ice cream. 
And you get that and you load up and you walk up to the door and you reach down and the door's locked. And you're like, oh boy, I don't have my keys. You ring the doorbell, you ring the doorbell. Finally, she opens the door and you go, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And she looks at your offerings and she forgives you. And so propitiation. Now, the offering for your sin is much greater and much more serious than that. Because it didn't take ice cream and flowers. It took the life of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who came and He lived a righteous life because we couldn't. And He lived a righteous life and, and then He died for our sins on the cross because the wages of sin is death. And God poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ for my sin, for your sin. And so then... When I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, His death pays for my sins. And His righteous life is put to my account. Now, was Jesus God? Yes, He was. So what kind of righteousness did Jesus have? God's righteousness. What kind of righteousness do we need to be in the presence of God? God's righteousness, not our own. So his death pays for my sins and his life gives me righteousness that's not my own. What a God. What a Savior. The way for anyone, whether you're Jew or Gentile, to have God's righteousness is not by keeping the law, but to receive by faith God's gracious gift of redemption through the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. He was the offering that satisfied God's wrath against our sin, the propitiation. And so we have the Reformation statement, justification, the courtroom language of being declared righteous. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And so those that place their faith in Jesus Christ have a new standing in grace. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared righteous in God's courtroom, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No longer under wrath, but at peace. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God or the resurrection. You see, by faith in Christ, believers enter a new state with God. Not only are we at peace with God, but now we stand in a perpetual state of grace. Not only are we saved by grace, but we are kept by grace. Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's no way you're going to receive a guilty verdict in God's presence because of Jesus Christ. Believers no longer need to fear God's wrath, but instead are brought into a constant state of being in God's favor. Look at Romans 5.16. Now, we have some language here in in, in the translation. It's talking about our judgment or the verdict that is passed upon us. And remember, condemnation is guilt. With, a, with a, a judgment, justification is being declared right. We're going to see about death reigning 
And then we're going to see how we can reign in life through Christ. But the summary of this passage is Adam really screwed up things for everybody. Jesus fixed it. Okay. But let's look at Romans 5.16. And the free gift, that's the free gift of righteousness that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. The free gift of righteousness is not like the result of Adam's sin. For the judgment or the verdict following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Look down to verse 20. Okay, So, Adam messed everything up. We are all born sinners. Jesus Christ led a righteous life for us, died for our sins, so that if we place our faith in Him, if we're born again into the family of Jesus, we have a righteous judgment on our lives. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law simply revealed to us that we are really bad sinners. I mean, really bad. But it says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And that that word abounded there means super or abundantly. And back to this illustration of being on the New River and and at Sandstone Falls, it, it, it would be like... It would be like, man, I am a super, super bad sinner. I mean, as bad as you can think, I've done it. There's not enough grace to forgive me. And it's like God points to that river of gushing, rushing water. And He says, you see that water? That's my grace. There's enough. I will forgive you. And so if you're here this morning, you think... God can't forgive me. Yes, yes, He can. He has abundant grace. As was sung this morning, it's amazing grace. Our only hope of being freed from the reign of death initiated by Adam is to receive God's free gift of righteousness through faith in Christ's act of righteousness on our behalf. Only then will grace reign in our lives leading to eternal life. The free gift is righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus, which results in justification in God's courtroom and eternal life. This free gift is given by God's grace, or else it could not be considered free. Won't you receive God's free gift by placing your faith in Christ Jesus today? In conclusion today, I want to run us through an illustration here on the screen. Just to summarize what we've said. So in the courtroom of God, you stand condemned as an ungodly, unrighteous truth suppressor who is a lawbreaker that dishonors God. You are under sin's reign. You are under sin's reign of death. You are an enemy of God and you are worthy of His wrath. Let's go ahead and forward that one more. 
There we go. We are an enemy of God, deserving of His wrath. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross as the satisfaction of wrath against our sin. He diverts God's wrath, if you will, to Himself. So that if you repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ's work on your behalf, God will gift you righteousness, which results in eternal life. You will then stand justified in Christ. And as a result of this change in relationship, you now live at peace with God, no longer fearing His wrath. And you are under the reign of grace. So returning to Romans 1.16, we see why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for a life of faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel tells us how you can be justified by God. You need to believe it. You need to share it. It is good news. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then I encourage you today, even there in your seat, just to bow your head and to ask God to forgive you of your sins because of what Christ did for you in His death, burial, and resurrection. And place your faith in Him as your Lord and your Savior. Now, Lord means that He's the Lord. He's the one who has the right to guide and direct your life. And by faith, you're going to trust His sacrifice for your sins, and then you're going to live a life of faith, trusting His leadership and guidance. You'll no longer be under the condemnation of God. But if you reject Him, He will reject you. And you will be under God's wrath. I urge you today, turn to Jesus Christ and trust Him as your Savior. And in Christians people of Faith Baptist Church, I urge you, share this message with others. Tell them about God's amazing grace. Share it. Live it out. Be an image bearer that does reflect God and His righteousness to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the Gospel. For in it we see Your power displayed mightily. Your grace poured out abundantly and Your peace offered freely. I pray, Father, that You would work in hearts and lives today. Raise those who are dead in their sin to life. and Help them to see the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth. Help them, Father, to know You and trust You. And then, Father, for those who have have trusted Christ but are walking in pride, I pray that you will humble them and help them to be reminded today that it is all of Christ, that we are not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works, and that we are not, we were not anything special when you chose to save us. Father, we are special because of Jesus Christ. And then, Father, for those who are here this morning, and maybe there's discouraged and struggling with sin, Father, I pray that You would encourage them, that their faith in You has put them in a place where they are in a state of abundant grace, that they will never fall under Your condemnation. And while there will be a struggle with sin, it is a struggle. 
because you are working in them to save them from their sin. Oh, Father, have your way in our lives today. And give us opportunities, Father, to tell others about your amazing grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.